The Open Pantry Podcast is a hospitality podcast where I interview people within the hospitality industry about both their lives in and outside the industry. Hey, I'm Sean DeVries and I'm your host. I hope you really enjoy these episodes. My podcast aims to show that the thing that links all people in hospitality is a want to be creative, support each other and always do better. I really hope you enjoy the episode, so make sure you subscribe and always leave me some feedback. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to the Open Petri Podcast for yet another episode. As always, it is fantastic to have you listening or watching whatever you are doing. Uh, today is a bit reminiscent for me as I go back to my Adelaide roots um, and, and really talk to two amazing entrepreneurs who um, I've respected for a long time. I've almost been um, too polite to reach out to a podcast, uh, but it's great to have them both on the podcast today. Uh, Dana White and Marshall King, the directors of amazing bars in Adelaide, including Clever Little Taylor, Pink Moon Saloon, and Port Admiral Hotel, uh, some of my favourite venues in Adelaide. Hey, boys, how are you? Real good, thanks. Very well, thanks. Thanks for that uh, introduction. It's a bit shucks. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Now, um, uh, the reason uh, I wanted to have you guys on, and, and Dana, when I was talking to you about it uh, the other week, is because um, Clever Little Taylor is uh, definitely one of my favourite um, bars, not only in Adelaide, but but in, in Australia. Just in the way that it's sele- selection of alcohol is made and, and how, um, how the experience is driven uh, right from as soon as you come through the threshold of the business. And that's something I've always respected and loved. Um, how did you guys start out in your careers in the hospitality industry? Uh, Dana, if you probably want to go first. Yeah, uh, not the most illustrious start to my career. I would have uh, started when I was pretty young washing dishes. Uh, nice. Uh, David Swain, who's a very well-respected chef over here, he's mm-hmm. got uh, the Fino restaurant, so it was in his original uh, one down in Wollonga. Oh, um, wow, really? Cool. Yeah, I worked there when I turned 18. I started uh, front of house with mm-hmm. uh, Sharon Romeo, still one of his partners mm-hmm. today. Um, so really moved up in the world, no more pots and pans. <laughs> um, and then it sort of ended up just being, I think as it is for a lot of people, a bit of a sideline while I was studying at university um, mm-hmm. here in Adelaide later. And then uh, that's kind of where I met Marshall as well, was mm-hmm. uh, both at university and <laughs> and working behind bars. Cool. So yeah, it's been a while <laughs> since then, but yeah, started on pots and pans. Wow. What about you, Marshall? Uh, reasonably similar, I suppose. Um, I was at university, um, probably not fully applying myself, if I'm completely honest. Um, <laughs> and I ended up doing the classic sort of 20 years old, um, go to the United Kingdom uh, yep. for the two year visa. Uh, and I'd actually never worked in a restaurant before, but that's sort of what you do when you get off the plane there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of fumbled my way into a reasonable gig over there. Um, ended up working at a little tapas bar um, in Good Street off Tottenham Court Road for like almost 18 months. Uh, yep. And sort of straight away, I, sort of, I was into like a very high paced, high quality environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something started to click over in my brain regarding that. Um, and I did end up when I came home, uh, going back to university and finishing off with, uh, working in a restaurant as a side, 
But Dana asked me to come work at Clever Little Taylor when they opened. Right. Uh, uh, and the opportunity for us to work together was, uh, you know, a strong one for me, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of people, I think, just started to view it view what we were doing as perhaps not the second option, but the first option. I found it more engaging. I found it more rewarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it sort of a better use of my skills than going the full academic route, which is where I was uh, going initially. Yeah. Um, you know, studying, doing PhD and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I eventually sort of realised that this is what was, although very challenging, this is what was making me happy, like in a deeper sense, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was just sort of then it was just on from there. There was sort of, um, I suppose, no real turning back. We've just sort of kept going since that time, I think. Yeah, I think when we started out here and both of us were, I guess, well, actually, Marshall was still finishing off his PhD at the time, so still studying, and this was, at the time, even a secondary uh, mm-hmm. thing. We didn't really realise how far it would go or how big it would be and how consuming it would be. Mm-hmm. It was a dip the toe in the water see what happens and then all of a sudden it really took off and that was I guess a bit of a turning point for us from going from side gig to full-time thing because when you launched CLT that was in that was in 2014 somewhere around there wasn't it yeah April of 2013 oh 2013 right wow there you go um so you would have been one of the first bars in sort of Lee Street as Lee Street was sort of you know, coming up and coming, that sort of small bar scene, you know, those the change in license in South Australia and all that kind of thing. Was Were you guys yeah, one of the cool. first ones in the street? We technically went through uh, on the old licensing system mm-hmm. just before, literally mm-hmm. I think it was months before the new license came into effect. Yep. Uh, um, and when we were actually on Peel Street, we've got Ping Moon is on, on Lee Street. There. Oh, apologies, yep. Uh, when we moved into Peel Street, there wasn't even street lamps on the light. It was, it was dark at night. There was an old computer repair shop. And, and a really big rat. And a really uh, big rat. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was very much, there was nothing. There was nothing here at all. It was a real, yeah. it was a real step um, to do that. Our business partner in, in this and the other ones, Josh Baker, mm-hmm. uh, secured this tenancy uh, for us through a landlord that he already knew mm-hmm. and yeah it was definitely a a bit of a shot in the dark um, mm-hmm. metaphorically and, and literally I guess at the time because what was the what was the actual venue before it was um, Club Little Taylor was a secondhand clothes store specializing in I think it was sort of a medieval yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of Garb, I'm not 100% sure. It's called Dragon Blood Creations. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, I can't say I, yeah, it was a, re- a, a customer of the shop before, but uh, right. yeah, something yeah. those, those, yeah. So, a lot of magic carpets and fake ceilings for memory. Like, I wasn't yeah. completely involved in the build protest, uh, process, but it was a very much like rip everything down, strip everything back blast yeah. all the render off the walls, mm. you know, to review, I suppose, like the the inner beauty of what was actually there, you know. But no, it wasn't even, it was unrecognisably different to, to what's here now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, wouldn't know it's the same place. So what was the thought process behind it? Like what made you think that site was going to, you know, particularly work? Did you want something that was going to be a bit of a vintage sort of 
location to fit in with, you know, Pill Street and, and obviously Lee Street moving forward with Pinkburn? I guess now Peel Street has a real sort of identity, if you will. It's got some excellent other bars, restaurants, a real mm. sort of scene to it. Mm -hmm. um, and this West End precinct has, yeah, quite a thing. At the time, there kind of wasn't any scene or any kind of feel to fit in with. So it was really yeah. up to us to do whatever we felt like. Mm -hmm. But we really thought, that, uh, I'm not sure how much you remember from from, from your Adelaide days, mm -hmm. but uh, we're very close to Hindley Street, which is kind of... Mm. Uh, red light district, the uh, mm -hmm. club, strip clubs, whatnot. Um, but we're just sort of off removed from yeah, a Close a enough still. to be relevant to that kind of energy, but far enough away that you could perhaps provide a more like unique experience, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And there's still plenty of like sort of uh, inner CBD office buildings, whatnot. Uh, so there's a real diverse crowd here. Mm -hmm. um, and we really wanted to aim for at the time, you didn't have this huge range of awesome really high quality venues to go to yes so at the time we wanted to really hit that classic um not specializing in not being a tequila bar or not being a just a wine bar or whatever we really wanted it to be a place for everyone serving a bit of everything mm -hmm. and really kind of hit the classic notes if you will yeah um, so aesthetically we kind of headed in that direction as well yeah because uh, yeah at the time they just wasn't the same the scene was very different seven years ago it yeah wasn't the options that you have today yeah um but it still works it's yeah still works amazingly well seven years later so we haven't really changed anything in that regard yeah because i imagine like that cheekiness of Hindley street you know and i you know i was in adelaide till i was um 27 28 um so, you know, I've been around, you know, HQ and, and all that kind of stuff for a long period of time, you know, spent many nights at Cargo Club when it was still open down the end of Harley Street. Oh, um, yeah. You know, so um, so did you sort of want that cheekiness in the brand? Because if you did this on, you know, Guja Street near the Adelaide Central Market, if you did at the end of Rundle Street on East End, it might have worked, but you, you wouldn't have had that same sort of flavour, I don't think, as what you've got now, right? Well, particularly uh, early on, and this is when we opened, it was before we had lockout laws here in uh, here in SA. Mm -hmm. uh, and our license goes till 2 a.m. and mm -hmm. has from the beginning. Uh, we definitely saw it as a bit more of a transitional venue from between having, say, dinner or finishing up work yeah. to then transitioning into that real late night scene. So we had a real strong trade sort of in the later few hours. Mm -hmm. That did change a bit once the lockout laws sort of happened because people started going to clubs just a bit earlier to get in before before lockout and what have you. Mm -hmm. But we really liked it as sitting between those kind of things, whether it's finishing up a beer with a beer and your mates, end of work on a Friday, or if it's, you know, 1.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning, you know, you've had a big night kind of uh, about to go hit the clubs, about to hit cargo clubs. Just finish <laughs> yourself up. Yeah, yeah, so we kind of do like bridging those gaps and mm -hmm. again, being very yeah. much somewhere for everyone and to sort of fit a lot of tastes. Yeah, I think as well, like Adelaide is pretty reasonably split in the CBD between the kind of residential angle in the East End mm -hmm. and an almost no residential in the West End, yes. uh, which obviously there's positives and negatives of both. For instance, like, 
you might struggle with day trade if there's no residential in the West End. But very much night trade, it's like that's where people go after they've had dinner. They want to go and drink cocktails or whatever. So in a city where it can be very much, even on Rundle Street, sometimes there's not a lot of foot traffic uh, on a quiet Saturday night and restaurants even struggle down there, even though it's essentially, you know, it's a premium street in Adelaide. Um, If you are going to be a bar, I think sort of, you just cut to the chase and you go where the nightlife is. And obviously we're a little bit off the strip, but I think that's, um, you know, I wasn't involved in the decision to put this here, but certainly with Pink Moon and with all of their bars that have popped up around this area, mm. that's probably the thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of taken on its own energy now as well in that if you did want to open a bar, you really have to think very hard if you put it somewhere not around this area. Yeah, um, but it's got its own gravity now. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know, you can go to, five, six, seven, eight different bars within probably a 200 metre radius around yeah. here. And that's precinct. what people have learned to love to do. Like they pop into one, pop into another. And if you're on Guja Street, mm-hmm. unless you have a real destinational draw card, whether it's mm-hmm. music or really specialty stuff or whatever, I think still in Adelaide, you're probably going to struggle, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, we are a small city and we don't have that many people. So having that really niche draw card, whether it's mm. like location or, or offering, is still a difficult one. I think yeah. purely back in just the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been super lucky with sort of creating that scene here and having mm-hmm. other bars. It's kind of worked backwards as well in this also allowed, I think, a lot of restaurants to open, a few cafes and whatnot, because it has sure. become such a precinct in its own right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's going to... Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, how it it must be a challenge to be, you know, to be relevant, right? And and to continue being relevant. I talked with, um, I've had businesses in Adelaide in my twenties, so I know how hard it is to run a business in a in a um, in a state which has a low population, right? You have to really think about your customer, and you think about you know the brands that have really grown up in Adelaide and come nationwide and and that kind of stuff because it is so hard to deliver on that customer service based on football. Um, but I was talking with um, uh, Pepe from Pepe Sayer Culture Butter um, this week just about how he thinks the Providor, why the Providor explosion happened um, sort of the last 10 or 15 years. And he put it down to people traveling overseas, going to the UK, going to, going to America and then bringing those thoughts back, you know, and doing venues, you know, like yourselves. Like, do you think, that's the thing that's been had the ability to keep you guys relevant moving forwards. The fact that, you know, Marshall, you were in the UK for a couple of years and that kind of thing. I mean, we did, uh, I think very, very early on, I'm trying to think it would have been less than six months after opening. The two of mm-hmm. us actually went on a trip to the States and did cool. the, the classic Kentucky tour, the New York, <laughs> San Francisco, all the obvious things. Uh-huh. During a blizzard, mind you, uh, yeah. the cause has been a Makes it more fun. Yeah. Um, a couple of Aussie boys with uh, t-shirts on in a blizzard was pretty much what happened. But uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot that gets brought back from those sort of experiences and trips. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we were actually talking about it the other day because I suppose on the other hand, the thinking about what we do has been very much globalized as well. So, you know, everyone follows like Lost Lake Tiki in Chicago and whatever. You're always like, you're sort of sitting there scrolling late at night if you're thinking about drinks or whatever. You know, you're looking at flavor combinations that someone's creating on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose everyone's always like in that web. 
Uh, but we were just discussing the other day whether we should go again because whether obviously just looking up other people's bars, not necessarily the full experience. Yeah. And one of the things that you really notice, you know, for us, let's just say relatively experienced really when we were in the States was just this like unreal level of professionalism mm. and this kind of this idea that being a bartender is a profession mm. uh, and people really taking pride in that, which they do there. And there's a couple of moments that I'll just never forget there of like certain bartenders just completely owning a room of people in a really positive way. I mean, in the sense mm-hmm. that they were just so in control of everything that was going out and the standard was so high and, you know, we were, like you said, you know, the greeting is important. We were greeted the moment we were in, even though this person had like 20 dockets on, you know, and we were just yeah. sort of stood there going, wow, this is unreal. Um, definitely something that now is maybe an experience that you can have more in Adelaide. Is there are mm-hmm. some great bartenders, great maitre d's, et cetera, but rewind to like 70 years ago when we went. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. that was a somewhat more unique experience at the time. There just weren't, you know, excellent bartenders making drinks here in Adelaide really there's definitely mm. a few it wasn't in that same level where you could walk into a bar and it might be someone making you a you know a, a martini or a cutting you a Reuben sandwich at Katz's or something yeah they had been doing it for 30 years or 40 years and they mm. were as good as it is possible to be it just was really quite mind-blowing at the time mm. It's hard to get away with your own businesses as well. Sorry to interject. I think you're like, well, yeah, that was a long time ago we went to the States and I've been probably to Hong Kong since and seen some bars there. Um, and if obviously, you you know, you trip to Melbourne and Sydney perhaps relatively often, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you, you are sort of sat here thinking, oh, we've just been, not just, but we've been running the bars for last year. We haven't been anywhere. Yeah. Like, do yeah, we need yeah, to go well, get some mm-hmm. fresh ideas? Yeah, um, definitely the, like that sort of angle to it as well. What do you guys put it down to the fact that, you know, America and, you know, Hong Kong would be another issue, like have that culture of amazing service? Because I think most people think that, you know, when to, to get a staff member to do those things, to talk to a person coming through the threshold, to understand that they come every Friday night at, at 715 because they you know because they work at kpmg and they and they're going to come with three guys and you know and then one night they're going to come with their girlfriend and they know the kind of drink that they're going to get like the relationship that a bartender has uh, a barista has with um with their clients is incredibly important moving forward but you're right that has been a challenge to develop in australia but in america that's not um well, I think it's not about pay rate, right? Because we get paid yeah, better in Australia. There's an element I've always thought, and this is probably not particularly well researched, of this element of you have to sing for your supper. And that sounds horrible. Mm. Because it's like hyper competitive, wages are low, everyone exists on tips. Mm. And I don't particularly necessarily agree with that as a form of motivation, um, but it's there whether you like it or not. And, mm. um, you know, I suppose the people that are perhaps most suited to um, providing that customer experience or getting those tips or whatever end up being the people that remain in the industry and become perhaps the industry leaders as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I suppose there's an element of that. Um, there's definitely like a deep respect, deeper respect of these kind of things that has evolved, uh, I think, naturally as well through media exposure. Like we're essentially the MasterChef generation now. Yeah, and 100%. everyone looks up to these things as spectacular. And they're literally, there's, you know, on television every single um, night, I think it must just like every night now. I don't know. It seems to be on every time I turn it on. Yes. There is sort of some kind of you know, 
wondrous explanation yeah. of a of a dish or a way of service or a bit of chef that you know you might not have heard about or a chef that is revered in a godlike sense in a way you know and all of those things have now filtered down into or, or they're actually at the forefront of australian culture yeah. um i think yeah i think i think there's definitely that i think there's also just the uh the precedent that here in australia we tend to if you ask a friend or you ask someone you know what do you drink the answer is yeah. usually i have a beer thanks yeah I've got mine, maybe mm-hmm. um but in the states we found that even at not sort of your fancy cocktail specific menus a lot of people's standard drink is an old-fashioned or whatever mm-hmm. and they've been being made by people for you know for so long and you have all these people that are have been in the industry for so much longer so if you go around to bars in the states you're going to come across bartenders that are not just 20 to 30 they're 20 to 50 or 60 yeah you have right. been making it as a you know for so long and with that comes a lot of respect whereas in Australia, and I think it's changing, absolutely changing as we are, you know, like Marshall said, the sort of master chef generation and we're having different experiences with that. But anyone who works in the service industry and hospitality, whether they're a barista or a chef or bartender, will always feel the question of, oh yeah, you're a bartender, but what else are you doing? Or what do you yeah. want to do? Mm-hmm. And then have to explain that, no, no, this is what I want to do. This is my mm-hmm. profession. I'm, mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think is maybe in the same way anyway in the States. I think there's maybe a bit more of a, oh, you're a professional bartender. I understand that. Yeah. Um, but I've it been, is absolutely changing. I've been fielding that question for over 20 years now. So you sort of... Um, yeah, I think anyone that's doing it <laughs> outside of the anyway, you just sort of, you very much get used to it. Mm. Uh, you know, when are you going back to uni, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. you know. Yeah, why didn't you finish um, your degree? Yeah. <laughs> yes, all that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, and you're yeah. sort of like, hey, I'm, I'm doing just fine, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, just leave it to yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> boy, let's talk about the last couple of months, obviously, with COVID. Um, you you guys are in the, what, I, what I think is the hardest part of the hospitality industry in the fact you deal in bars. Um, you deal in, obviously, a lot of regulations, some which is, you know, obviously coming open now, but here in Victoria, like in a couple of weeks, they'll be, we'll be allowed to, serve people a drink without food um like that's yeah so that that will mean it's like nearly four months right since that's that's yeah. happened so that's a long time and and yeah. you guys you know aren't um uh aren't a distillery or anything like that sort of yet so you're not so you you know you're creating your bar experience is lost you know yeah it's a very good point yeah absolutely you know, um how how have you how have you been able to continue to sort of operate and and move your way through this time? It must have been incredibly challenging for you. Um, yeah, well, I mean, at first, obviously, there was a lot of like shock and fear, I suppose, in all of us, because, like you said, you know, we don't necessarily have a way to create value outside of that experience. That experience mm-hmm. that we give is the value, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, might sound obvious, but once the door is closed, that's it. You cannot provide that, and so you know, we were at a point as well we were we didn't know if we'd be able to come back for a while or whatever so we everything was off the shelves dana was drilling like boarding up the yeah. window at pink moon and yeah. these kind of things and they're very like like in your face kind of experience moments right yeah, yeah very yeah. symbolic moment and then you know i think we sort of did a bit of math early about obviously people have been successful in the eastern states with perhaps selling bottled cocktails or home mm-hmm. experience um and we decided against something like that um, just 
purely in an Adelaide sense, I think it's probably like was probably more trouble than it's worth. Also, you're doing like very mundane things like sending quite a bit of your house pause back to the suppliers to get credit on it because you don't know yeah, when you right. get to open again and you're not necessarily stockpiling a lot of um a lot of booze well we were really preparing for the possibility of not being able to open before you know the end of the year or, or something mm -hmm. much longer than it's been so yeah. we were kind of having some real hard things about what the serious long-term shutdown would look like as well and particularly in adelaide and I'm, I think the Eastern States have been quite different. We didn't really see a massive market for investing in and then getting ready to do uh, stuff like bottled cocktails mm -hmm. and still keep them in line with the sort of quality and presentation and whatnot that we would want to see out of them. Mm -hmm. Is that because is that you're worried the discretionary spend wasn't there in South Australia compared so to... That's also States? a very good point. Yeah, that's why we're sitting here thinking like, so we're in a global pandemic... Uh, we're entering, but probably entering a recession. People on Centrelink that never have been before, and you know, it's already a place where it's sometimes hard to squeeze twenty dollar yeah. cocktails out of people. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, in a relatively conservative, I think, state financially, like my sort of thought was that people are going to be like shrinking down. And the first thing that goes, people talk about essential and non-essential, is things like a bottle of champagne or an expensive whiskey or a cocktail. Um, and, you know, I think I think we've sort of probably seen it with uh, the pivot towards a lot of people are buying, you know, a carton of beer. Yes. Ah, the old of, carton pivot. You know, a, a <laughs> carton of beer, a pack of wine. I'm even buying cheap you know, beers. Exactly. Definitely. We're yeah, buying absolutely. cheap beers and we're buying, you know, affordable wine or whatever. So top-end handcrafted single serve cocktails kind of we didn't see that as being a really long term yeah. uh also long -term things i think like we took them kind of week by week and obviously we're sitting here now what four months ish yeah, but we've yeah. been open now for almost a month and mm -hmm. the experience obviously we can't fully provide because we're only around 19 people in here and um 15 inside over at peak moon but i think now would have been the time if we were still closed that we probably would have gone, all right, this is really long-term. We need to start to investigate yeah. some of these possibilities, whether that, yeah, it's like distilling stuff or, yeah. you know, collaborating with a distillery or whatever. And I think, well, for me anyway, we probably started opening and moving again, um, you know, at just a time where we, you might have started to become, I wouldn't say like desperate, but, you know, in real need of exploring those opportunities yeah. um, because we start to get some form of cash flow coming through. Mm -hmm. um, and we sort of went just past the sort of financial terror stage. And once you see people back in your bar and the old yeah. regulars are here, even if they can't stand at the bar, which they can't, and even if they can't all sit together, which they can't, you still sort of, you see what you're doing starting to come back to life. Yeah. And, you know, that's and then you, yeah, maybe you need to really put all your strength into, you know, like greeting Neil, who always comes past for a whiskey sour on his way like to the train station. You know, mm -hmm. that should really be your focus. Um, and then, you know, I know I wasn't thinking about drinks for ages, not ages, but, you know, you sort of switch off a little bit. So we need some new drinks here. Like, let's make that happen, you know, and rather than sort of exploring those things that, let's face it, like aren't your strengths. You're going to be, there's a guy... There's, there's a guy already instilling gin and he's already better at it than you and he's already got a brand and a label and a yeah. following and you're kind of like, you know, and then you sort of like really eking out. You're trying to learn 
those new mm, things mm-hmm. in the worst possible environment. No, not in a yeah, yeah not not with a clear head. You're just worried, you yeah. know, super worried about your own brand. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The transition into doing something like that in a sort of larger scale or in a in a very real sense, almost anything like that requires sort of investment of capital to mm start doing whether it's yeah opening distillery is probably at the top end of like big investment through to even just the small stuff of hey we're gonna bottle cocktails well we need to order like a palette of i don't know nice looking bottles and get labeled mm-hmm. mate, whatever mm-hmm. um all requires investment which considering we ended up being able to reopen three odd months later yeah we also get caught out in that scenario of having put all of our money into this new thing mm-hmm. and then getting told we can open your doors again and we're kind of stuck between two things. So we definitely were quite conservative, I guess, in the way we approached that. Yeah. But also like enough that we could wait it out, which I guess is, yeah, a privilege not everyone probably had. True. They were just super worried, right? And um, like, how's it been different? I know you've obviously got the Port Admiral Hotel in Port Adelaide, which is, you know, a completely different market than a small yeah. uh, small bar scene in, uh, in Lee and Peel Street. Like, how's that been challenged differently during this time has it been easier to open a real that's a real different one obviously uh here at clever little taylor at pink moon saloon we opted to avoid any of this sort of takeaway Mm -hmm. option Mm -hmm. uh we did shut the pub completely for a period of time Mm -hmm. but then we were able to reopen it um a little bit sooner Mm -hmm. and the takeaway side of things Mm -hmm. just being able to do food and we also have a very small bottle shop there Mm -hmm. yeah do all that really made the difference even though we can only still have a very limited number of people inside, it just yeah. is enough to kind of get you over that line. Um, so we're able to do that. And I think the community down there is super strong around a pub because you have a heap of residential, a lot of people live locally. Whereas as you know, particularly the West side of uh, the CBD here in Adelaide, there's not a whole lot of residential. So when everyone left their office buildings to go home and work, work and you know, meet up on Zoom, uh, it was ghost a ghost town. town. So super, yeah, super different experience there for sure. And um, finally, I think one of the things that where you're asking everyone, oh, what are you looking forward to or whatever? Um, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, schnitzel? Like, yeah. at the bar. <laughs> yes. I don't know, yeah. like, because I'm not involved down there, but um, yeah. I think they're just, they're slinging heaps of schnitzels, even in takeaway packs. Yeah. Um, people are really looking forward to that, like, cultural touchstone of, like, you know, once a week or once every two weeks. Definitely, get a yeah, definitely a bit of a back to basics. No one, no one uh, has a real strong hankering, I don't think, for some really intricate craft cocktail that they once had at an amazing bar. Even though that experience was probably wonderful in itself, yeah, that's the thing that you automatically go, "Oh man, I have that real craving for that." Well, there's some go, people are now that they're back in the bar. They are now. But I think the first one is just like, I just want a cold beer from a tap. Yes. Give me the basic and I'll move from there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've already done the schnitzel thing, Marshall. So um, so it's always it's already made me feel good, mate. So it's good. Um, uh, I want to ask you about um, the one person per four square meter rule. Oh, very good. Um, my concern, especially with bars and somewhat with probably QSRs as well um, around the country and around the world that it seems to be the same sort of mentality is that if your brand is um, built on the fact that you are 80% full on Friday and Saturday nights and you go from having a capacity of 
120 of a license and all of a sudden you can only have 35 or something where you guys said, you know, 12 and 19, I think you said. Um, it doesn't really scale, does it? <laughs> no. I mean, how like, it doesn't matter how many, it doesn't matter if they allow 50 people a venue, 100 person a venue, if it's still one yeah. person per four square meter, That's it's still exactly in the same right. position, right? So like That is correct. And, and if we talk about having that position from governments around the country until there's a vaccine, we have a real concern that there's a lot of venues which are going to shut. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. How are you guys challenging that? Because, I'm, I mean, if I can ask you, I know that's a really blunt question, but, like, how are you going to survive during this time? My, my sort of, like, difficulty with this is that there's a real sort of element. People have real headline readers, right? So um, there's this real idea at the moment that normalisation, oh, we're coming back to normal, because they just see, for instance, like, the biggest number that a venue can have going yes. up to 800. But it doesn't matter because if you don't have a venue the size of a football field, it's not going mm. to do anything, right? Yeah. And so with that increasing like discourse of normalization, then the kind of help that we are getting at the moment, which is essentially enabling us to keep these businesses alive, whether that be JobKeeper or Rent Relief under the Commercial Tenancies Act, mm-hmm. all of those things start to become less real for people. They're like, well, why do you need that now? Like, I can go buy a drink, it's fine. And they don't understand that, like, most restaurants especially, but bars also actually rely on running at 80% capacity. And you might have, like, a 70% or you might have a a 20% drop in turnover through the year on a graph somewhere. But you don't have an 80% drop in turnover on a graph somewhere. No one does and no one has. And, like, this has made us realise that maybe you think about worst-case scenarios. Um, And, yeah, it's a real wait and see. I think there's a... There's a, we're torn between obviously if that is what is medically required for Australia, sure. As long as the help is still there, so that yeah. we still have this when we reopen, well, or when you know when we do finally go back to normal, because otherwise it's going to be an absolute wipeout. And once you lose that productive capacity in the economy, for one, but just once you lose these restaurants, they take years to come back. Correct. Bars Correct. take years to come back. Mm. I, you know, and that's. That's for me. Yeah, th- those are my conflicting fears, I suppose. Yeah. Um, really. Yeah, because we we, we're definitely not trading under normal circumstances on the other side uh, in terms of, yeah, we are getting all this this help through through JobKeeper and mm-hmm. we're really lucky that we have uh, quite a few of our staff eligible for JobKeeper. Great. Um, sorry, I'm just going to stop my phone from ringing. <laughs> Kill you now. Uh, yeah, we have, we have we have staff and JobKeeper. We're getting you know all this relief that does make it able to for us anyway in our model to survive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I'm on on the same thing of this real fear of the more we go back to thinking that things are normal while they're not actually normal, yeah. while we're still running at such low capacities, yeah. the more we put ourselves in a position where we might have some of that taken away. At which point we are just I can't see any other way than a whole collapse of a whole lot of businesses. Absolutely, yeah. The end of of September could be the final wave, right? It could be the third wave of of venues closing. That's the thing. A lot of, you know, some places close and never reopen and then some places reopen and struggle. And then, you know, like with, it's not just hospitality industry, a lot of industries, you might, you're going to see that second or third fall where people are just scraping by eventually. For instance, they 
perhaps lift the embargo on um, being able to bankrupt people, essentially, you know, whatever. I think that was, mm -hmm. I think that threshold was put up to about $20,000. Yeah. But there's going to be a day that that's lifted. Yeah. And then someone, you know, if someone owes someone $5,000 and they, yeah. they might issue a receivership proceeding, you know, and then yeah, you start absolutely. to see this kind of humble and like a lot of people, you know, are justly fearful of that. Um, given that at the moment, you know, I think on Friday night in here, we had quite a reasonable atmosphere. We've only got 19 or 20 people. So a lot of people are probably sitting around thinking, oh, it's a pretty good vibe. Like yeah. bars are back. Little yeah. do they know you need, you know, you need those big like, yeah, nights. You, you need, need 45 at a time or something, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. where you yeah. do like double what you normally do or you need a function, you know, peak moon especially, I think, you know, benefits from functions. It's a beautiful space there. And, you know, once every fortnight you get like turnover that you wouldn't usually get in the bar scenario. And we 100%, you know, I've been turning away groups of, you know, I've been turning away functions, but also just groups of 10 or groups of 16. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard restrictions are lifting all last week, I was, oh, can I have a table for 16 for cocktails? Can I have a table for 10? Yeah. Can we book out the venue? We're so glad to be back. And I'm just like constantly like, I don't, you know, I don't know why I'm apologizing, but I am sorry. We can't yes. book you in. I want this as much as, you know, and you see that there's support there. People are trying to support you, which is wonderful yes. because they want to come back as well. And we just yeah. can't, we just can't take it. It's like staring you right in the face. And that is, that's obviously frustrating. For sure. Because yeah. what are you guys doing in that situation? Have you thought about, like, I don't think you can with your particular types of venues, but time limiting people and saying, okay, we can be in the venue for an hour and a half and then that's, your, cut, and then that's your cutoff time? Because if I'm going into a venue in my first yeah. hour or hour and a half, I'm going to drink a heap more piss than I am if I'm going to be there for three hours, right? In my last that's hour. Right. So everyone spends, they, they buy the most drinks in the first hour or so. That's kind of mm -hmm. like reasonably well known. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't want to be cutting people off from their experience, especially since everyone's coming back to kind of say yeah, hi. it's really hard. But if you start to get like the Starbucks Wi-Fi effect where everyone's just hanging around, drink, you know, because it's like, it's a beautiful yeah. place to sit. Like where I'm sitting, is it's a really nice place to sit. And yeah. you can watch everything that's going on and you'd sit here for three hours mm -hmm. and maybe spend $50. And that's essentially not going to cut it. No. You know, not because, you know, we want to make a million dollars and drive a Ferrari because... We need to pay for things like just to be open, on. like keeping yeah. the lights yeah. on. You want to keep your business you know, open. I think yeah. there has right. been a bit of a turn yeah. towards not like taking power back, but be having a very respectful conversation, I suppose, Thinking with people like, oh, hey guys, I've got a couple of people waiting. Uh, if you're not mm. going to get anything else, you know. It's, I think it's a lot harder. Australians hate that. They, <laughs> they, they, they hate it, in my 100%. experience. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. a lot harder, I think, in bars and in restaurants, particularly mm. because if you eat That's a meal, true. There's sort of a general minimum time and generally a maximum yeah. time. You spend. Dessert, it's like you're yeah. kind of done after dessert. Yeah, you probably you clear the plate, then it's sort of the moment to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. whereas a bar could be two people catching up for a quick beer, which we get heaps of on the way to the train station. You have a quick beer, that's 10 bucks, thanks, and you're in and out in 12 minutes. And that's yeah. fantastic with that turnover. But equally, it could be those two same people meeting up for a five-hour session where they drink a bottle of wine and they have a great time. They're here for a long time mm -hmm. and spend lots of money. So it's super hard to force people to make that decision before they even walk in the doors. Because mm. you know it's like all the time you catch up with a friend, you think it's going to be one beer and it's not one <laughs> yeah, beer. Yeah, it's not. It's five. That's, that's yeah. great for everyone involved. It's, <laughs> a bar. it's great for you. It's mm -hmm. Everyone has a good time. But if you were told 
you have to make that decision before you even walk into the bar. That makes it really Because yeah, it feels the spontaneous aspect of the environment, which is one of the most beautiful things about it. It's like, oh, I just ran into this person, haven't seen him for years. Yeah. Bugger it, let's get a bottle of champagne. You know, like it's sort of, you sort of turn it into the like the robot Lego. Yeah, where like yeah, yeah. People, even a couple of people come in. Yeah. That being said, we have to have a version of it because um, people are getting really frustrated walking around to venues, especially in the middle of winter, cold, sure. dark, Adelaide, and, can't and yeah. just can't get anywhere. And they're trying to go out for the first time. And that, that's going to turn into not bothering. It's going yeah. to turn into staying home, which is why yeah. we've been doing books at Pink Moon and we've given people two hours. Um, we still have to turn away a lot of groups because our maximum group size is six. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think as well, if there's if there's someone waiting and you know there's another booking, even if it's just for drinks, you know, people will be somewhat understanding. Otherwise, people are going to get really frustrated. Yeah, the people are getting very frustrated on Friday night. I was staying there playing records and just watching groups come in and you can mm-hmm. see that already be rejected three times just yeah. in their right, eyes. In their face, yeah. And been, another one. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, please try and book next week. If you can get in, we'll 100% be here for you. Um, but there's just not much we can do you know, once we've once we're full, which takes about five minutes. And we're definitely yeah. concerned that moving forward, it's all right. We've been what we three weeks in, I think, now mm-hmm. to trading. So people are sort of learning the ropes. They're still keen to go out. But if that maintains for three months or six yeah. months or however long, yeah. are people stay just gonna decide that staying home is better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's some people might and also in terms of say when you know if JobKeeper is revoked or whatever you know that you can do the same like really small night of trade with three you still need three people mm. or a really large night of trade you still need three people so we're just like you're not going to get that scaling at all you can't run the bar with one person you yeah. know on a, it's a rainy Tuesday night you still can't run it with one person yeah. so um you know, once those kind of factors start to come back into the equation as well, um, there's, you know, I, 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 there's a great difficulty in how that's affordable yeah. for me. How have, how have your staff managed this change as well? Because obviously, I, I know you guys are obviously in your venues a lot, but like all of a sudden your brand now, now pivots from like the most important person being behind the bar it's almost the most, most important person being the person who will greet you at the door because they're going to tell you if you can come in or not. Yeah. And, the person, yeah. and then the person who yeah. takes your glass at the just, table uh, because you yeah. want them to move, right? So you need to have a conversation about, you know, do you want another drink? If not, uh, you kind of and, politely and bugger off. You know? uh, yeah, without offending anyone or mm. putting out. Yeah, it might require a level of diplomacy that, that perhaps they're not used, used to. to. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think, uh, I mean... I would say that most people here and at Pink Moon would pride themselves on greeting anyway, to an extent. Like it's really like we really try and drill it in because mm-hmm. that, that first interaction sort of sets a standard. Mm-hmm. You you get to find it really hard to have a bad experience. And clever little Taylor, especially you can stand. You're literally right next to the door. Um, but I have noticed, you know, that it's been challenging for them people, especially that. I suppose 90% of people understand, but 10% of people don't. And they just think it's like having an argument the same as when you're getting kicked out of a bar. You know, you just have an argument when really it's just like, you know, what? I don't dislike you, you know. (laughs) There is just certain rules and our hands are tied like yours. But if someone really wants to have a go, then they're going to have a go. And also they're going to take up like a significant amount of your time. Um, And 
and then also mental energy perhaps yeah. for the next hour as well and that's the yeah. that's the real difficulty when you're trying to micromanage and tetris you know two people over here and five here and six here and yeah. four here and those two leave and those two come the and then there's one person that you know has a real go at someone that might it might take 10 15 but you can really lose momentum in yeah. that aspect of service mm-hmm. um but i mean that being said all credit to everyone that has it works for us in our venues they've approached it with uh, like a real level of strength i think and calm there hasn't been any incidents um apart from the fact that it can be a bit draining i suppose well in a way um, we're in a them. bit of a honeymoon period if you will for being able to go back out again so people are super mm. thankful for that yeah first, that's a really good point actually. that first cold beer or their first mm-hmm. manhattan after a long stint without one Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have a lot of thankfulness and that obviously feeds positively into being able to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. But again, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, we might not have that level of uh, thankfulness and sort of honeymoon. The honeymoon might come to an end and I don't know when, but it might, mm-hmm. at which point it becomes more and more difficult probably to have those conversations, put more, puts more pressure on staff because people aren't really thankful to be there they just think it's yeah. a normal a norm, yeah it's a normal all of a sudden becomes annoying right yeah yeah uh yeah. even though you're trying to have a conversation that essentially says uh if you help me out uh i can hopefully continue to be here next week if you'd have another drink and the week after and so forth mm-hmm. you know, you know, and people yeah. forget sometimes as well as they do even in normal times that the person serving them has a life as well and that their yeah. life's also been upended by this and they might have a mortgage that they can't quite pay at the moment or that they're working on you know 50 percent of their or 60 percent of their normal salary or you know all of those kind of pressures that in the moment of trying to get what you want which is a table or a drink can mm. can very much be forgotten. um you know and i think you know people need to be aware of that as well yeah yeah with um Obviously, with all these challenges at the moment, like who are you guys talking to in order to sort of spread your concerns and voice about it? Is it is it going to someone like you know the Restaurant and Catering Association? Is it going to local member of parliament to to understand that these restrictions are going to be really really hard for you guys to continue on, or is it just keeping abreast of all the information and running with it in time? Like, what yeah, are you it's a bit do? of an info overload sometimes for sure. Uh, but yeah, somewhere, somewhere in between yeah. and all of those things. I mean. You know, there is a uh, few people that I have a lot of respect for that are highly vocal in our industry here. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, I'm probably like a little bit more reserved with regards to that thing. If there was a meeting, I would speak up, but I'm probably not mm-hmm. like on Twitter or mm-hmm. uh, Instagram or whatever. And that's just not my style. Mm-hmm. Um, but those people getting the attention of, I mean, our premier is very open. Like he, yeah. you know, the, a week before the shutdown, he stood, you know, and I might disagree with him on some political level, but on a personal level, he stood in front of 60 scared, angry uh, bar and um, restaurant owners at Lee Street Wine Room mm. uh, and answered their concerns. And this is a, this was at a time he stood there by himself, no minders, nothing. Right. Um, and these were people who were watching their lives potentially dissolve before their eyes. Uh, and he stood there and took it. And they could have been really angry, but I mean, he, I think he very like tactfully diffused the situation. And he's actually there listening to people. Um, and you know, the Australian Hotels Association are good. They're like wonderful advocacy, but also just wonderful information because mm. things change so quickly. You go yeah. like the announcements 
for whatever reason, always seem to happen at five o'clock <laughs> on a Friday. When <laughs> yes. Yeah. Someone's setting the restaurant or we're trying to decide how we're going to run service or, yeah. you know, um, and, you know, get on the phone and they can clarify things for you very yeah. quickly, at least in a, you know, yeah. in a broad yeah. sense. No, it's uh, definitely, definitely a, a, a bit of both. And like Marshall said, we are probably on the slightly more reserved side, but there's definitely been a, a back and forth that's been good to see. And I'm really happy that uh, we're really happy that there are people in our industry who are willing to sort of put themselves out there, have the uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's obviously the other, the flip side of it that we, whilst we're really excited for restrictions to sort of drop and lower and whatever, there's also mm -hmm. the other side of it, which we are absolutely not uh, professionals or don't have enough to speak on it, but the mm -hmm. purely the medical side of it, public health, thing where there's this deep fear of we don't want to you know do the wrong thing somehow and then sure. peel street center an outbreak because we've yeah. it turns yeah. out it's the biggest concern so, right mm. yeah. yeah so it's definitely balancing this real desire for being able to open our venues to more people and whatever against a pretty deep very fear real concern and one that's probably like, maybe you know, the, the news cycle's flicked over a bit and the attention span has probably waned a little bit regarding that, especially in Australia, because we've been so successful fighting, especially in South Australia as well. Mm -hmm. um, but you can forget that four How months ago there was impending doom. Incredibly and serious. it still is happening in other countries. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, I don't necessarily want to be out there just being the guy that's going, um, oh, let me open my effing business. Like, I need to make money, like, pay the bills, yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. At the cost of what? Like, I mean, do you really want to be the person that said that? And then, like, you know, someone coughs on someone in, like, Clever Little Taylor, and then, then you're in the news. Yeah, um, yes, so big time. Mm. it's definitely like, you know, a balancing act. And I, you know, this is an incredibly complex scenario where sort of advocating for your interests has to be, you know, balanced and viewed as part of a, like a much larger yeah. you know scenario and yeah. a scenario that realistically we are we we're not professionals we're not health professionals we're not you know uh frontline workers sort of in that sense mm -hmm. that it's hard to well we, we can't have any opinion really that is based on a deep knowledge and understanding of uh, infectious diseases you know we're, yeah we're understand. <laughs> um, yeah you know take, but take the advice as it is yeah back in yeah but and we know how to, you know, do all those things, but it's hard to have a really concrete opinion on something that at the end of the day, we don't, we're not professionals in that, in that arena. Yeah, for sure. It seems like uh, my last question to you guys is like, obviously um, the whole conglomerate of brands was, was on a really good trajectory, you know, before this, like you've done a really nice staged approach of growing your business over the last um, six or seven years. Like, what are you looking forward to now? Is it just in, is it just, you know, let's just see what happens and gradually open up or do you still have plans for, you know, do you have plans for growth moving forward? If you can share. Yeah, I think, uh, at the moment, we're definitely just excited to be back and seeing people through the doors and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of uh, financial element to it, but there's also a real uh, mental, a real emotional element to just seeing a bit of life in your venues again. Mm. Uh, and I think the biggest one that I'd probably be looking forward to and I'm excited about is a bit of an industry-wide, but also within businesses, a bit of an opportunity to reset and really assess from yeah. the ground up 
how we run everything, whether it's structurally or in terms of how we greet someone. Mm-hmm. So sort of from on every yeah. level, there's this opportunity to really have a look at everything that we do, rewind a bit, reset it, and then decide what the best way forward is, which I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of us have had time to do. No. You know, the last years, it felt like we've just been on the run constantly, just Stuck keeping up. day to day. Exactly. So it's a real opportunity yeah. to do that. I would sort of add, I mean, I suppose, you know, growth is often, especially in our industry, viewed in terms of um, opening new venues in like a rolling sense. Um, and there's very much in good times that there's very much sort of a truth to that, that that's how you that's how you build um but sometimes you have to grow just to stay where you are really and in this mm-hmm. scenario there might be an idea where it goes from rather than opening new bars let's like keep the ones that we have for a start which is what yes. everyone needs first mm-hmm. um and the idea of opening another one right now seems like completely like crazy but then the stronger that we all are you know now and that we build over the next few months and maybe even year or whatever mm-hmm. um, means that you still have what we've got now perhaps even in a better way um and then like all the time when the time is right you might actually be in a position to do something um that you wanted to do from a sort of from a position of like maybe strength and thoughtfulness mm-hmm. rather than sort of you know trying to rapidly expand or you know five bars closed let's go get them all and you know try and open new ones or something like that yes um because really these are the venues that people are going to come back to first i think all the, all the ones um all these strong ones and okay. yeah and you know and then sort of you know see from there like um really um that's sort of how i, would, I, would I think it. we definitely have in the past fallen into a bit of a thing of uh we get everyone gets very excited about the latest opening the latest restaurant bar yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and with that sometimes there's a bit of a forgotten element of really surely we're all looking for sort of more long-term approach to that Agreed. You know, a venue mm-hmm. you, know, you do some renovations to it and maybe you switch things up a bit but realistically has a really long lifespan mm-hmm. uh, and i think that after the first little period of a business there is often a bit of a waning of excitement around that no one gets super excited that you know a business has been around for five years or ten years mm. in the same way the grand opening of a new business totally agree so i think looking a bit towards, of the sort of broadsheet culture i suppose there's always new things yeah. and whatever. so we're probably focused a bit more on on that of the being excited to be uh successfully opened be better year after year trying to get better year after year in the same businesses yeah um, and oddly enough you start to respect not i know that i didn't respect but more and more your old bosses who have just like yep. somehow stuck it out at my parlor Corey, my old boss in the apothecary and she's like she's run that business probably for yeah, almost 15 yeah. years now in highly street doing sort of semi-fine dining and bar yeah. experience mm-hmm. you go wow like she has just like kept on going there and that is amazing um you know i'd love to open something else of course like you always think you've got a few maps in your mind of whatever sure. mm-hmm. um but you know now is probably not the particular time to think about that i would i would say yeah 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 i think sustainability is going to be the new buzzword that comes through hospitality Absolutely. in some way shapes and forms so um, yeah yeah and i think sustainability gets taken in the sort of micro sense of not using you know disposable straws or yes. whatever else Mm-hmm. But looking 
taking a venue, a building or a lease and turning it into a new venue. Mm -hmm. That is a whole heap of materials. That's a whole heap of energy. Absolutely. That's a whole when, when, when a new fit out happens or a new business opens. Mm-hmm. So I think looking for sustainability in that sense of uh, even in the, yeah, the physical sense of having a bar for a long time yep. is something where also, you want to remove the fat from a business, uh, remove all cash flow, uh, and then you <laughs> and start then, to look at the numbers with some serious clarity yeah, and how much you're spending details and yeah. getting the bins taken out and stuff absolutely. like that. Yeah. And maybe that should really make you stronger. As you, as you move yeah. forward, I think. Mm, yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, if you survive this period, I think you've got a really good shot at having a seriously long-term uh, business. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Boys, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. What's, um, what's the best way that people can find out about the venues that you reside in in Adelaide? I think our Instagram accounts are pretty hot, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, uh, so also very um, immediate in the sense of updates. So, you know, you might have to wait a few weeks for a newspaper article or something like that. But mm-hmm. we're updating the story every couple of days with whether it's new opening hours um, as the drinks list starts to come back and change. Um, reg- yeah. With regard to regulations, you know, the moment we know that we can have more people, for instance, or if mm-hmm. we're changing our bookings policy, uh, that will be that will be there for them yeah. to for them to view. I think that's probably that's probably our apart from face to face. That's probably our biggest yeah, sort of communication sure. uh, with with our customers. Yeah, so. particularly at a time when everything's just changing so rapidly. It makes uh, a lot of sense, right? Place to be. Cool. I'll link that up in the bio of the podcast. As always, Dana Marshall. Thanks so much for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. As always, please look in the bio of this podcast and always send me a voicemail message. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or just follow us on Instagram under Open Pantry Consulting. Until next time, stay well.